Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duck Legs Podcast. This is Jared Aguilar. I'm a physical therapy student out of Austin, Texas. I am one of three co-hosts of this show along with Dimer Jones and Tyler Adams who are also physical therapy students. And today we have a special guest. We have Dr. Scotty Butcher who is a physical therapist, exercise physiologist, and researcher out of the University of Saskatchewan. Shout out to Canada. And on this episode, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I feel bad for you because we kind of get into a lot of Star Wars trivia. We talk about strength, of course. Shout out to the Strength Rebels. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Scotty and all the information he is putting out there on the interwebs, follow or subscribe to the Strength Rebels on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all your favorite platforms. You know, you know what to do. But besides Star Wars, we also talked about how to build people, how to build stronger humans, how to build up their capacity so they are not uh, becoming fragile and weak as they age. We talk about pain. We talk about uh, the balance in the force. Sorry, that's going back to Star Wars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great episode. Definitely one of my favorite episodes. And Dr. Scotty's probably one of my favorite people. Definitely one of my favorite Canadians. So hope you enjoy it. I had a blast. Hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking to Dr. Scotty. Peace. to another episode of the Dutt Legs Podcast. We have Dr. Scotty on here, and by now you probably already heard his intro, but if he doesn't mind just 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 giving us a few questions about himself. But first, I just want to ask him, because he's from Canada, what are the three places that if I was to visit Canada that I would have to go to? Uh, okay, good question. Uh, number one has to be here, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, because, you know, how are you going to hang out with the coolest strength and uh, PT kind of <laughs> situation and guy, right, you know, without coming here? So, right. um, actually, our city's really beautiful, too, so um, lots of sunshine and, and clear skies. Um, then I'd say Kananaskis, which is in Alberta. It's near the, near the Rockies and uh, beautiful, beautiful landscape. And then the third one would be Halifax. Um, and notice I didn't mention British Columbia and Ontario, which are the only provinces that you guys know about. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you knew that, but yeah, yeah that, that is true. That's totally true. Toronto is probably the only city that I know in Canada. Too big, too big. Too, I mean, it's a good city, but too big. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of, lots of better stuff around. Are you a Drake fan? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen like some of the, you always are, it seems like you're always like rocking some sort of rock band. Like I feel like I've seen you in Metallica shirt. Yeah. 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 Everything like that. Metallica, Five Finger Death Punch, Volbeat, Hailstorm, Disturbed. uh, Disturbed. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, so going a little, is that, is that what you're, when you're working out, is that what you're rocking? Is that what's in the headphones? Yeah. That's what I'm working, when I'm working out, when I'm writing, when I'm, um, you know, yeah, that's, it, it's almost always rock and metal shit. Yeah. Nice. I don't know if yeah, I could, if I stuff. could write to disturb. Yeah. Like, so. <laughs> well, you know what I have to do is, is when I get really deep into thought and have to, uh, you know, really get into the thick of it, it, it changes the classical, but I hate the traditional classical. So it, it always goes to movie sound. 
soundtracks like uh, all the time. And I did my entire master's thesis to the Braveheart soundtrack, and I'm not kidding. That was the only thing that I listened to. <laughs> uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. So all you all you students out there, if you need some inspiration, you got to go do a. You know, Hans Zimmer is, is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, John Williams. Got to be John Williams. John Williams. I need to. Yeah. Is it just the the epicness of a soundtrack that makes you kind of get in that trance like state when you're writing? Oh, it's totally it. Well, I mean, one, there's no, there's no talking, right? There's no lyrics, so you don't get distracted. But, but it is the epicness. Like, like I'm such a movie buff, and particularly around the the sci-fi and fantasy stuff. That um, when I'm, you know, when, when I'm watching, I get just so transfixed into what's going on, and I really feel the emotion that comes through the music, and and then that that really helps me focus when I'm when I'm writing. And and you know, it sounds funny, but it, it's totally true. Yeah, <laughs> favorite movie. Oh my god! (laughs) There is no question whatsoever. If you lump all of them into the same bout, it's Star Wars. Ah, of course, of course. That that I can see that. Speaking of uh, speaking of that movie, we do have another question for you. I think you might have seen this. There is a character named Ray. Oh, is there? There, I think there is. I I don't think I've heard of that one. Oh yeah, so it's Ray. She's a. believe she's from the planet Tatooine. I might be getting that wrong. No, no, not no. Tatooine. Jared, you always mess up. I do mess up. I always mess up. No, I can get it right. Oh, no. Not ta- that's, well, no. Don't we know. don't know where she's from, actually. Okay. But she li- she lived on Jakku. 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 Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize to all the Star Wars Yeah, fans. right. I, I think I'm done. I think I think you guys, uh, yeah, it's it's over. All right. Well, <laughs> podcast is done. <laughs> See you later. Have a good day. <laughs> Scotty Butcher, right? ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Hope you learned something. <laughs> oh fuck. Well, Tatooine. I'm, wait, <laughs> like, wait. Who is on Tatooine? That's not Yoda. No, that's oh not Dagobah's. Dagobah's Yoda's just, place. Answer, just ask the question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a question. Who, who is Ray? Who, who is, is Ray? That's the question. Well, she's one badass chick is what she is. Yes. Um, but what you want to know is who is she, like her lineage and parentage and the shit, The bloodline, right? yeah. Who's yeah. the boss? Yeah, well, the most obvious answer is that she's a Skywalker, right? Like Star mm-hmm. Wars is all about the Skywalker family and, and shit. And that, I mean, you know, going to meet her pop at the end of uh, uh, Force Awakens and then starting off The Last Jedi with that. I mean, that that's the obvious answer. I Honestly, I would love to see her as the granddaughter of Kenobi. She is, oh man. And, oh. and the interesting thing is, because I read all of this shit, because I'm such a nerd this way, but um, she, her fighting style is the same as Obi-Wan's, right? So, you know, you got to uh. wonder, is there something passed on? But then there's this weird theory that she's, um, uh, that she's sort of the, the chosen one through Immaculate Conception kind of thing. Same thing as uh, Anakin. So she's a, they're saying she's a reincarnation of Darth Vader. So honestly, I don't know. I, I hope she's uh, Obi-Wan but she's, or uh, uh, Kenobi, but she's probably a Skywalker. That would be wild. That would yeah. be wild. We had Ben Fung on, and Ben Fung uh, came out and said she might, it would be cool if she was a Palpatine. That would today. be cool if she was a Palpatine, but uh, Ben Fung's a chump, so uh, he doesn't want to talk about. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> wow. Fighting words. Shots, Shots fired. Kidding, kidding. Kidding. You know what? I, I actually, I love Ben. Ben, he's, uh, he's a good dude. He is the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It supports us. All right, so, right, right straight to it. Yeah. Rugby or football. Oh, um, playing or watching? Ooh, let's go first with watching because that's the most football. 
I mean, as, as, as exciting as rugby is, um, I, like I, I played rugby for about 20 years and uh, I, I love watching, love playing. Um, it is my favorite sport by, by far, but uh, um, I don't know. You, once, once you've seen a bunch, you, you kind of seen it. And I, I'm at the stage right now where I, I watch a lot of football and, and watch Canadian football. Um, I don't watch the, the NFL very much, but uh, um, you know, of course I'm Canadian, but um, no, I watch watch CFL and and being from Saskatchewan, uh, born and raised, and then still living here as a uh, as a professional, um, you know, I got to cheer for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, so that's my answer. Shout out! Shout out! They are a sponsor of the show. Yeah. So go Rough Riders! <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yep. Total disclaimer: uh, I played rugby for all but like one game in college. Um, nice. I went to all the practices, did everything. And as soon as I had to hit somebody with no pads on, because I played football in high school, um, I was like, no, I'm going to PT school next year. No way. <laughs> no, <laughs> I said, you are a different person if you play this game. It's You, you have to be different on, on the inside. I said, I, I didn't have it. Know thyself. Sure. It's interesting. It's uh, I mean, it's such a sport for for anybody, and and you know, any body size, any any type. Like you can be the 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 fast little winger that doesn't like to get hit, or you can you know be the the guys in the middle of of the you know middle of the the scrums and the lineouts and just in the in the thick of it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, it, it's kind of good for every personality. So um, the problem is, if your personality doesn't match your body type, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know what? I think that was me. I am. Uh, I don't want to call myself soft on the inside, but I am a very sensitive person. <laughs> uh, but my body type, those dudes, those dudes was like, yeah, man, you're going to run. And, and and I was, you know, if I catch it and run, I'm fine. You know, but I played uh, linebacker and nose guard in high school, and I thought I could just go out there and hit somebody. Hit him one time, and I was like, no go. So let's get off that subject now. Diamir <laughs> has the body type of a bruiser, but the personality of a butterfly. Dang, yeah. that's exactly it, man. And at the high school, it just went downhill from there. Now I do like lifting and all that just regular people stuff i guess all the good stuff yeah yeah right right so yeah let's get into that a little bit then um uh like like jared said you probably already seen a question so just starting off from the top you know do uh you think every program should have a uh and by program i mean like dpt program do you think that all of them should have some kind of strength training rather it be inside a therapeutic exercise class or somewhere of that form are you are you even a professor like yourself come in there and actually teach, uh, teach this course? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always hesitant to, to say should and, and, you know, be, be very definitive about what people should or shouldn't do because everybody mm-hmm. does their own thing. And I think that's one of the beauties of, um, of the programs that are out there is that there's a lot of diversity and, and I, that's, that's certainly true up here in Canada. I'm not sure how much down there, but diversity in the way that you approach it so if you want a strength program you go to the guys that are doing strength stuff if you want something else you go somewhere else but um you know if i get off my pc kind of soapbox and and say do i really believe at a fundamental level that we should know as as a profession that we should know strength training absolutely without a doubt so i mean the the big thing is is and and this this came from the um, apta before it ever came up here to canada you know talking about physios as the uh, as movement experts right mm-hmm. so if if we're a profession that's a movement ex that isn't a movement expert, we need to know the range of movement possibilities and the range of things that will have an influence on uh, someone's function, someone's uh, resiliency, someone's daily activities. And, you know, at the top of the chain is strength training, in my opinion. And if you're avoiding that, well, you, you don't have the full picture, right? 
So I, I'm just going to put in a plug for uh, uh, my online stuff that I'm doing uh, through Strength Rebels. We have a uh, uh, we have a, a saying which 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 I've coined basically around this concept, and it's movement is the foundation for strength, and strength is the structure upon upon which all of life's demands are built. So if you're if you're going to be a movement professional. You need the foundation, but the way you build from that is by building strength, which builds capacity, builds resiliency. And when we talk of all of life's demands, of course, it's not just sport. It's not just, you know, high, high in performance. It's, it's just daily life. And, and yeah, you, if you're not strong, daily life is difficult sometimes. Absolutely. Mm. If the listeners out there, if you haven't checked out a few of the videos from strength rebels, you know, some super, super high quality stuff right there. That'll, That'll keep you flying right if you follow them. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. it. So going straight to the next one, and you already have kind of a video on this already, but let's explore it again. Is there a difference between therapeutic exercise and exercise? Yes and no. Um, exercise is exercise, right? Um, the, the question comes is, can exercise be non-therapeutic? Uh, because I, I think in, you know, in, a, in the grand scheme of things, if you're exercising, it has therapeutic benefits, even if you're not doing it for a therapeutic purpose. So can it be non-therapeutic? Well, certainly, yes. Um, you could be performing exercise that is performance-based and detrimental from a health perspective, um, although you could then argue that's still therapeutic if the goal is performance, right? Mm -hmm. So it... it, it I, I, I mean, if you're, if you're performing exercise to the point where you're getting hurt or you're overtraining or something goes wrong, then that, that becomes non-therapeutic. Um, the, the challenge that I always have, and, and I'm not a big fan of the term therapeutic exercise, and it's, it's because what it, it tends to put this stigma in, in our head about, about what that looks like. And when we think therapeutic exercise, I, I think the vast majority of us think, well, you know, isolation exercise, band stuff, you know, like really low level, maybe submaximal, uh, pain-free, you know, like, mm -hmm. like we kind of mm -hmm. think those terms, right? You, you don't yeah. get into thinking about squats and deadlifts and presses and pulls. And, right. and, and to me, those are all therapeutic. It's just the, the application of them depends on why you're doing it. And that comes the therapeutic side of that comes from our ability to do a thorough assessment and understand what's going on with the client. And, uh, and, and to me, you know, applying a deadlift to someone who, you know, has a difficulty getting out of a chair or, you know, has some low back pain because they're, they're, you know, for whatever reason and, you know, building capacity and resiliency through, uh, through developing strength, through those big, big bang for your buck exercises, to me, that's incredibly therapeutic, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's more therapeutic than a deadlift? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. It's the most human of movements. Absolutely, yeah. it is. So I've followed, got followed of... very closely by a squat, but but yeah, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> the most therapeutic. <laughs> so I, I've kind of got like a two-part thing right here. To this next question is is number one: How do you feel about overall what you see out in the community? and just online in general about um, physio's ability to program when it comes to strength training. And number two, I think the first time I saw one of your videos is I was in my acute care and I was like, how do I want to make it, you know, more of that strength thing. And I saw one of your videos about how to incorporate in the acute care, that general strength. And uh, I'll be honest, I kind of felt like a duck out of the water. Um, Cause I felt like I was doing things that were like, 
I don't want to say frowned upon, but kind of not traditional. Yeah. And how long is that going to take to, to break that stigma of not doing leg raises? Wow. That's huge. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. And I also think it's one of the most important questions that, uh, that, that we need to examine when we're, when we're looking at what we do, in my opinion. Um, so first part of the question was, uh, what was the first part again? It's like, how, how up to snuff are we yeah. as a, as a profession and when it comes to programming strength? Yeah, uh, that, that's a whole big, it depends. Um, I, I think a lot of us are, um, but I think, uh, you know, going back to one of the first questions you asked about, you know, do we need this, uh, this type of training in, in, in our programming, our, our, you know, our graduate level programming. And it's, I, I mean, it's certainly a yes, because it's not there right now. And so I think the people that are doing a really good job are those that have a background in strength and conditioning or have a background in some sort of athletics that, uh, you know, that have been able to translate some of that stuff over. Um, but as a, as a whole, you take someone that doesn't have that. And um, if the program doesn't have it, I mean, how else are they going to learn it? They're, yeah. you know, they've either got to do it themselves, which is the best way, or, I don't know, you know, they've got to try and learn it from someone else. But um, so do we do a good job? I mean, this is, this is a, a bit of a conundrum, right? Because the, the research in this area suggests that when, when we're talking about outcomes that are related to acute type situation, I don't mean acute care, but I mean like, like, mm -hmm. you know, in, initial stages of rehab um, that no matter what you do, people get better. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and whether that's the simple fact of moving or whether it's the time that, that you're taking and allowing them to heal or to calm shit down. I love what Greg Lehman uh, says, you know, uh, calm shit down, build shit back up. It's to me, that's that's fantastic. Right. Because but I think that's what we do a lot in our early stages is that we're calming shit down and, and time does that and general movement does that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, I mean, are we doing a good job? Well, sure, we are because people are getting better. But I think where we need to take this to the next step is to say, well, we, we're not trying to get someone back to a previous level of function, even though that's what we talk about. I, I think we need to get someone to an optimal level of function, right? And then you have to look at how you define optimum. But, but to me, that's we have to go beyond that. And we're not doing a good job there. We're not doing a good job of taking people beyond the previous level. Mm. Yeah. So, so getting into your acute, acute example is, uh, oh my God, like it's, to me, it, it's, it, this, this is paradigm changing for us um, in terms of looking at, uh, you know, necessarily the, the leg raising stuff, the early stuff that you might do after surgery or, mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, I mean, not to say that you don't do that. Like I said, movement is good and, yeah. and people are going to get better. People are going to heal. But at some point, there's only so much that can do until you start really, truly loading someone through a movement pattern. Mm. So, I mean, when, when do people buy into that? When, when do people realize? And to me, I think it's, it's the more of us that get out there, the more of us that have that sort of a background and that do train ourselves, realize and recognize how much more benefit there is of doing whole body functional compound movements through, through loading um, compared with the isolation stuff that, that you know, you're going to get more of us buying into it. And, and I think in the end, when there's more people out there, there'll be more professors that are doing that stuff and it'll get into the schools. It'll build, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. It's going to, would you say it's going to have to take a grassroots effort from like our part and just every, every physio that wants to see this happen, we're just going to have to get out there and market, you know, hit up social media, just like you're doing and, and post videos of ourselves and techniques and just advice like that. Would you say that? 
I, I would say that's that's a big part of it. Um, it it's it, at this, you know, at the same time, what what that's not going to necessarily do is change the top end at the educational level. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, and that's all good, but that can easily die out. Like the beauty of social media is it's widespread, but it's also very, very short lived. So, I mean, yeah, you can post a video or I can post a video and we can do that and people buy into it and then, you know, you'll hit people and people will change, but you know, is that really hitting the right people? It's kind of hitting the people that are open to following you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and if they're open to following you, it's probably because they already kind of buy into what you're doing or at least have some interest in that. What we need to do is we need to get get it at the level where other people are going to pay attention. So for me, there's two two sources. It's it's in the schools. So it's it's in, in our basic um, PT programs and it's in research. And so so that's one of the things that I think really has to happen is, is that we have to show uh, through research the long-term benefits over and above some other stuff, which right now isn't really out there, to be honest. All right. yeah. do, uh, do, uh, do, uh, you think the pushback, and I've heard this a few times, that, oh, my patient, my specific patient that I see, rather it be at a nursing home, outpatient, whatever, don't necessarily need to do, you know, have – body squats or, hat, you know, uh, a clean and jerk, whatever the case may be. Do uh, you think the pushback from those therapists or healthcare professionals, rather, uh, is that they feel like their patients that they're seeing at their clinic don't necessarily need that? Oh, Ed, that's huge. That's yeah, everything. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, that's exactly it is, is there, there's no, if you don't train, and, and, and I've, I say this all the time, if you don't train, you don't recognize the benefits of training. Right. And ah. it, it, right? Yeah. So, so the therapists that are out there, and, and I mean, we're all doing a good job, right? I mean, yeah, there's crappy therapists, there's there's crappy anybody, right? But you know, we're, everybody's trying, or at least they should be trying their best. And so, the ones that aren't doing that stuff, it's not that they're doing something wrong. It's not mm-hmm. that they're doing a bad job. They're doing what they know. Yeah. They're doing what's best based on what they know. But those of us that do train, you know, we really see the the benefit of of having that type of style of, of exercise and, and, and lifestyle and what that does across the board. I mean, you know, it, it's just it, it's so mind opening to look at the, the well-rounded amount of benefits that you get from that type of training that, that if you don't do it and you've never done it, you don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you think exercise, oh, it makes my muscles hurt. Or, you know, you think exercise, oh, I'm supposed to do it. Or exercise is walking or running or whatever. But if you don't, if you don't really train, you don't know. Yeah. So getting more people to know is going to be the big thing. So, so I, anybody that ever asked me, what do you do? How do you get into this? Is, is you start with a strength coach mm-hmm. and start training, period. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so yeah, that's the, that's yeah. You it feels good to train too. I don't know. I I could go on and on about that. You know, but that's that's the thing too. It it you know, Doctor Scotty, he he, hearing him talk about it, I just feel like it's kind of that whole. It's it's almost like sex ed again. That's not in public schools, right? It's like nobody's teaching. If we want to bring it back to the school level, public schools, nobody's teaching kids how to strength train appropriately. Yeah. Nobody's mm-hmm. like nobody yeah. just like nobody's teaching them about sex ed appropriately. I've got this say. theory that and, and I'd like to hear Dr. Dr. Scotty Butcher here's his opinion. I've I've almost wondering if is it time to just abandon ship with the with and just put all your resources in the future and the kids. You know, is it because I feel like that's where you can really make a big impact is just go get them while they're young. It's almost mm-hmm. like it, as a profession, that's where you can make your biggest impact is just the future of society. 
I, I don't disagree. I think that um, I, I think absolutely that that is the place to start and instilling uh, a sense of culture, physical culture. I, I, I like thinking of what we do as a as, as sort of a physical culturist, and I mean that that does have to start early now or it should, should start early. And if it does, if it did, and we put the resources there, I think we'd have a really, really big impact. Uh, the challenge is, is we're, we're a caring profession, right? You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to say, well, what about, you know, forget about saying, well, what about my dad or what about my grandpa yeah. or whatever? I mean, I, I don't think you, I don't think you abandon ship completely, but I do think from a resource perspective, we, we've got a lot of challenges and, and, and here's, here's what do you do? Do you, do you say, well, you know what? Yeah, we've got the baby boomers who are now hitting the point where there's a huge healthcare demand from them. Do we ignore them and then just say, Hey, let's just look at, you know, 60 years in the future. So we're taking the kids now that that are going to be old later, or do we try and have a level of resource development and focus across the board on the right thing? And and to me, that's where I would go is that we need to focus this and the, the approaches on the way people move at all levels. So, so at the kids, in the middle adult, middle-aged adults, at the older adults, because we know of the the benefit that no matter when you start, you're going to get significant benefit. And of course, the earlier you start, the more benefit you're going to have across your lifetime. So yes, do that. But but I, I I'm still worried about grandpas and grandmas. That's yeah. that's where my focus <laughs> yeah. is. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, 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 oh, I was yelling in the mic there. <laughs> you're good. I got a little excited. You it, was, it was it was super <laughs> exciting to see some of those people that aren't as young deadlifting some serious weights in your videos and you're like, yes, yes. You know, that person is strong. You're damn right. You know, they're getting out of the chair like a champion, like not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, you know, you know what here, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story and and this is my favorite story and I love telling it because it it, it involves my mom. So my, my mom, she just turned 70 and uh, about, about seven years ago, she was, uh, she had a uh, two month, seriously two months stay in the ICU with sepsis and multiple multiple issues so you can imagine what that did to her you know she was she was never an exerciser prior to that right she just was active but didn't really you know systematically exercise you know two months in the ICU she just her function went through the floor like it just just done it you know she took a long time to gradually build back up and never to a previous level of function i mean she wasn't she was doing a lot of the early rehab stuff that pe- that other people had told her to do cuz you know she's not going to listen to her son necessarily yet mm-hmm. um but then i convinced her to get into a study of mine and uh, so she she went in and she she said look i don't like the gym i hate going to the gym and but she did it because she knew how how much i believed in it and she was you know she's she's a nice nice lady she wants to help me right she's like oh i'll help my son like like all all moms do and she she got into this program or in into our exercise program and fell in love with it right yeah. so she i mean she you, there's lots of videos of her on on strength rebels and um she just uh, a couple months ago pr'd at uh, her body weight uh, for a deadlift at 135 yeah. right and, mm. right and this is this is someone who who was so debilitated that couldn't even get out of bed right because of what happened so you you look at i mean and this is years i mean we're not talking about this type of change overnight you know this is not your typical 6 week course of physio this is this is years that this happens but if she hadn't have had that exposure, she would probably be in a home right now, honestly. Mm, and yeah. 
it, it's, I mean, this is where I think we, we need to look beyond the first couple months, right? This is where that initial stage of rehab, yeah, it's important, right? But people are going to improve as they start moving more. It's it's the long-term stuff that, that uh, um, you know, where, where you get the big benefit. Just the other day, she says to me, she says, she's I'm known as the butter lady at Costco. And so she, because uh, what she does, she's got the, the, the butter because she's got these big pallets, like these uh, 70 pound pallets of butter that uh, that she she carries because my my sister owns a bakery and so she she does some some work in that so she goes into Costco and and lifts these 70 pound things of butter pallets of butter into the cart and, and everybody's saying do you need help do you need help and she's like no I got it yeah, right? yeah. Like, they're, they're dumbfounded right you never know where she was a few years ago right you never know she was that person right so i mean to me that's the power of doing this is that you you can you can change someone's trajectory of life and by building capacity that's beautiful that is that's, that's, a, that's an amazing story um i gotta squeeze this in uh i want to talk to a little bit about uh, oh, I'd like to speak on both ends here, like how students and physios, professionals can promote health and wellness without fear mongering. And then also let you give a bit of a rant to the public about not being scared, you know, because boy, didn't we run across this point of don't do this, don't do this. This is a bad exercise. Mm -hmm. This is bad. Mm -hmm. And it's tough. You're dysfunctional. You're dysfunctional. You're broken. I just want to plant this soapbox for you to step onto. And before he steps on it, let's take a break. And uh, I want to shout out this blog I read that it's the the five worst exercises you should never do ever because you might break and fall apart and internally combust. Yeah. So. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Is is that real blog? Yeah, they're they're a sponsored uh, blog website for the podcast. So I just had to give them a shout out. Right, right. Absolutely. As, yeah, you know, not that I agree with everything they say on the blog, but <laughs> I mean, they're paying us, so we got to spew their propaganda. This is, well, this is perfect timing to start shooting that shit down then. Wait, come on, come on, Dr. Scott. <laughs> this is money we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Sorry, dudes. You asked the question, though. <laughs> Right. Are, are, are we ready to go or what? Yeah, yeah we're I, don't, ready. I don't know. I don't we're know ready. if I'm ready, I'm ready for it. I want, <laughs> I want to hear him just unleash the beast on fear mongering. This is yeah. bad for but, you. But what if what if fear mongering fear mongering is making us so much money as a profession? Oh, that what if you know? Because oh, if we get to call people dysfunctional, then we can have people keep coming back in, yeah. right? Uh, if uh, we get to say that people have six civilizations in their neck without any kind of imaging yeah. or anything like that, like I seen the other day. Um, yeah, you never know. Six, I think it says six subluxations. I saw that. Post, uh, yeah. some, some, a bunch of stuff. I was like, how is this person even living if they got all this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And then there was another post, not to, not to keep cutting, uh, Dr. Scotty off, but of, uh, somebody posted within that group, like, uh, a physio patient coming in saying, yeah, I just went to physical therapy today and I learned I have so many muscle imbalances. That's been the root cause of all my issues. And then I have to come in like now I'm on a path to trajectory of, of fixing all this. And then this, this kind of, it harps on what we were saying about the whole fear mongering dysfunctional aspect of what we do as a profession and the words that we use shout out to Richard uh, Severin. Um, and so 
Dr. Scotty B, any thoughts on how we can make more money off of fear mongering? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I agree completely with kind of the, the idea that we don't want to fear monger, right? Because I mean, they, that, that is one of the, one of the worst approaches to get someone better. It, it's probably one of the best to make money. I absolutely. And I hear what you're saying. Um, you look at guys like, and, and I don't really want to cut these guys down because I think they're doing some really good work, but you, mm -hmm. you look at guys like, uh, uh, Kelly Starrett and, and, uh, Gray Cook for as, as two really high profile examples of guys that have built business on dysfunction mm -hmm. and, and, and they've done a massive amount of, uh, made a massive amount of money and, and done a lot for the profession in a positive way in looking at what we can, you know, what we can do to help people. But sometimes, a lot of the time, I find that the, the messaging and the language is such that it's like, well, we're, we're doing this because you're broken. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I found all of these things that are wrong with you. So we're going to try and fix them. And you got to keep coming to see me so that we can fix them. Because, you know what, there's no way I should be getting you to doing anything remotely like a deadlift if you have a slight rotation at uh, one of the hips. And, you know, it, and it, it, it gets to the point where, in my opinion, it's completely ridiculous mm -hmm. that... We, we focus on so many little things with, with, without and, and often saying that you should not be doing these bigger picture things, these big bang for your buck functional whole body type movements under loading that'll build capacity and strength because you've got all these problems. I don't, I, I, we, we do, the other thing is we're such a good uh, profession for critical thinking, right? We were taught to look at a problem and analyze it and basically take it to the point where we can really pinpoint a cause. And then there's a, there's a cascade of effects that come from that cause. Mm -hmm. And so, the, so through that cascade of effects, you know, we, we think our biomechanical knowledge and, and that we're going to take people down this path. The, the, the problem is, I mean, not to say we can't do that, but the problem is if we're telling patients that we're fixing this and, you know, they get the message that they will break or that, uh, you know, if they do the wrong thing to tomorrow, that, that it's, it's, they're going to be back at square one. I mean, that type of message is the wrong message because then they're going to not want to move. And we know that most of the challenges people have with chronic pain is fear of movement or guarding movement, right? Which is, mm -hmm. which comes along with okay. the fear, which, which is a huge issue. And, and we see that all the time in the research with, uh, um, you know, the increased co-contraction around an, a, a fearful joint, whether it's painful or not, but, but around a movement pattern that's fearful. And I think we need to know when to, we need to teach patients when to worry about that stuff and when not to. And there's not that many situations where we actually do need to worry about it. One is heavy lifting. And if we're teaching them that, you know what, through your daily life, we just want you to get, we want to get you moving. We want to improve your ability to, uh, to, to move generally. I mean, this is where things like general movement patterns, the Edo Portel stuff, yoga stuff, you know, all that stuff. Fantastic. You know, using those principles for basic therapeutic uh, movement is, is fantastic. But what, uh, what we don't want to do is we don't want to say, well, that means then when we go to lift heavy that you should just, you know, throw form out the window and, you know, and just do whatever you want. Right. And then, you, yeah. know, you look at the most, most common example being flexed back deadlifting. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, do you deadlift with a rounded back? Well, the question is always, well, do people lift with a rounded back and do, can you ever lift with a neutral spine? And I mean, there's so, there's so much around that, but 
I think we, we can't promote people going into extreme ranges of motion. So we still have to say, try to stay neutral, even if we know mm-hmm. they don't. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, uh, to the point of the question is, is there a bad exercise? Absolutely not. Um, can we promote, you know, wellness, strength training without fear mongering? Absolutely. Without question. And we frame it around building capacity. And that's, that's what I do. I frame, I frame strength training around building capacity, building functional reserve, and telling them the truth about what happens as you age. Not saying you're broken, but to say that as you age or as time goes on, if you don't have a functional reserve, we know that function declines, right? So you're going to get older. You might have chronic disease crop up. You might have an injury, illness, surgery, hospitalization, all of these things that can change the trajectory of your function. And the higher your capacity is to start with, the better you're going to be able to deal with those things. And that's how I phrase it. So, so it's not about, hey, you know, we have to fix this. It's, it's about, hey, let's build capacity. Let's get you stronger because we know it makes life easier. And, you know, it'll change your trajectory of, of, of life, you know, having the ability to deal with uh, shit that comes up. Back to optimization. Totally. Boom. Beautiful. All right. Well, we got two minutes. You want to hit them up with a quick question? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, could you kind of maybe expound, expand on the whole definite, like how you view capacity and how you view functional reserve? You kind of talked about functional reserve a little bit just then. Yeah. So, so what I'm talking about is uh, we know that uh, as you get older, and, and it, it's really eye-opening to look at the research that says, hey, in a, a really high amount of older adults, high number of older adults, a sit to stand is near their maximum capacity. So Mm -hmm. basically saying a one RM squat. So if your one RM squat is your body weight, you're in trouble if as time goes on, because we know that if you're not trying to build that, then you're at some point not going to be able to get out of the chair. So Mm -hmm. the higher you are in terms of your overall strength levels and fitness levels, the greater you can deal with those declines. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I just came off of a um, home health rotation and I've seen many of patients do the uh, however many sit to stands you can do with it uh, in 30 seconds or in or how, how long it takes you to get to 10 reps. And it has been mind blowing, yeah. you know, first coming in to the to the kind of ignorant thought of, well, it's a sit to stand. It shouldn't be that hard for people to do. And then you see some people that have been extremely debilitated and you're like, oh, OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But, yeah. No, that's exactly it. I've got another comment on that. Uh, we may run out of time though before that one, but uh, um, you know, it's it's the the principles of training. You know, when you think about how you would train to improve someone's one RM and how we train older adults to get out of a chair, completely different, and they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, it's all the point. same training, right? It is totally. Three point. All right, we'll see you on the next link, Doctor Scotty. Thank all you. All right, sounds good, boys.